five stars. Uh, <laughs> that's my line. Mike is better suited to do that. We're, we're off script. The script did say it was Mike's line, Zach. It did. I'm sorry. Later in the show. We're coasting pleasantly from our live podcast episode from GeekyCon with David. Did you all enjoy it listening? That can't speak back to us. It is, it is good to be back, but especially coming off of, like, how do you top an episode with David J. Peterson unless it's with another episode with David J. Peterson? Prepare to be disappointed. David is not with us today. <laughs> <laughs> but we are speaking uh, in depth about Sansa and Tyrion as they dive well, they don't really die. They ride into the royal wedding inside of a, a, a very nice litter. This is what we do. This is this is Game of Owns. This is the uh, on season now when we're going through what remains of A Storm of Swords. Before we get to that, I'm sure that Micah is reeling with some sullied, friendly news, I suppose, is the word. Tell us the news, Micah. How are you feeling right now, Micah? Feeling good. I'm I'm excited because uh, you know as we are in our on season, there's a lot going on behind the scenes at uh, the filming of of Game of Thrones, and we know that uh, season six is really happening right now. I mean, we will see it on our television screens uh, next year, but uh, all the principal filming is taking place. Right now, as we speak, well, maybe not as we speak, but you get the idea. Maybe. There could be some night shooting. You never know. It's like 3 a.m. in Dubrovnik right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think the big news that uh, Zach is, of course, referring to is that we got a major casting announcement uh, over the course of the last few days for a great joy. A great joy. I, I would think that this would make you... Jump out of your seat, scream into the microphone. Right out of his pants. He's speechless. Well, I, I'm about jumping. Yeah, I jump off a wall in Winterfell. That's how excited I am. <laughs> Is there snow below you? Uh, there's a train. For the Sullied listeners out there, navigate your headspaces toward Watchers on the Wall. You will be delighted to know that our efforts on the wall have led to quite an explosive uh, chunk of days in the Game of Thrones, the Song of Ice and Fire fandom. So uh, yeah. pat yourselves on the back if you're a part of the community because it's been really fun. And um, just judging by the photographs, not knowing, of course, being unsullied, what is to come in this particular character's storyline. I'm just very excited for the the charm that's surrounding how everyone is excited about who's been cast and what this mm. could mean for the sixth season. I'm 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 really, really excited. I'm hearing whispers, tales that we could be approaching a new Oberon. Something along those lines. Whoa, that'd right? be kind of cool, right? So, I mean, you know, obviously not actually a new Roburn, but just kind of like I don't know the swagger. Micah, you got you help me here. Anything? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's true. I mean, this is a character that definitely has a lot of interest from people in the Game of Thrones community. Based on this report, though, uh, it looks like the uh, Danish actor, and I'm going to apologize in advance here because. I probably am not going to get his name exactly right, but uh, Pilu Asbeik, uh is going to be playing Euron Greyjoy, uh, who is a brother of Balin Greyjoy, therefore an uncle of, of Theon's. And, well, it, it shows that the Greyjoys are going to be playing uh, a part in season six. This is a family that has been, you know, uh, aside from... 
Asha and and Theon and and Balin uh, pretty much left off in terms of the main plot line. So clearly they're going to have a role to play uh, in what is to come in season six and, and maybe even beyond that. I was thinking of that, and I was thinking of how that, that was the case. I think we saw so much of, of Balon, I think it was season two, we got that nice chunk, and we got to see so much of the Iron Islands, and we got to feel yeah. Pike for what it was. But then I, I got to thinking, um, especially going through different graphical bits for what you'll soon see as the new GameOfOwns.com, just, just feeling the chronology of things. Maybe we haven't been devoid of the Greyjoys. Maybe they've been part of our story this entire time. The inclusion right. of Theon, where he wasn't necessarily included in the narrative from the book structure. You know how he's like sort of always been there now with the TV series and with the plotline in Winterfell this season and with how he's with Sansa. I feel like maybe he's been our representative of the Greyjoys. And so if if this is successful uh, and it's a large part of season six, maybe it won't it'll it'll feel like it'll feel exciting to us because we're getting to see sort of the other side of this character that's been with us this entire time. Or maybe that's yeah. the hope of the, what they're making, right? Oh, I certainly hope so. Knowing that, you know, Theon has had a lot of character growth this season. He's sort of come back into his own and is escaping with Sansa. Knowing that there's more Greyjoys coming into the plot and knowing that that plot was previously cut. I think David and Dan said that, um, you know, sort of to make room for Dorne and, and other things in season five, they opted not to do the Greyjoy storyline. So Balon Greyjoy is still alive where we are in the show, and that is not the case in the books. But I have a feeling that, I mean, they'll probably go all out and maybe even like start with his death and then go on to, if it's his brother, like a younger brother, Euron is, um, mm. or the oldest younger brother, something like that. Uh, you know, I will say that uh, it's it's probably going to be a very similar plot at at start of who is going to be the new Balon, the next Balon, the next head of the Iron Islands. I'm glad that I don't know. It's just it's cool that that we're getting these confirmations in the off season. And I feel like the the bars were shaken; they were rattled by all of you listening to this podcast and uh, participating in the community. So high five to everyone um <laughs> it's it's happening in september and here we are it's being filmed now uh as far as his uh character traits go like if he's being hailed as like a kind of a, a likable character kind of like oberon that i find interesting too because i think a lot of the gr other Greyjoys in the background actually just all the ironborn seem to be really rough around the edges mm. um which comes from their sort of in my opinion, they're hostile yep. kind of environments. Uh, they they're a tough the, crowd. They uh, worship the drowned god for yeah, crying out they loud. they are a tough you know, crowd. It's, it's like, yeah, but uh, but no, knowing that there is uh, some, some... Everybody's got a cool uncle. And knowing <laughs> that, that Theon's cool uncle is coming to town, that's really uh, cool. Cool? I don't know if that's the appropriate oh, word okay. to use. I apologize if I offended any book readers. I, I uh, think he sounds like a cool uncle. Well, he he's nicknamed Crow's Eye. Um, oh Jesus! That's that's awesome. <laughs> Never mind. Awesome well, I, I just wanted to point this out because we have read it in the books, and I I thought maybe you guys would find this interesting. And if you feel it's a bit too out there, you can let me know. But I, I this made me go back and think about earlier on when we had a visit um, from um, the ghost of High Heart, uh, and she was talking about you know this vision she was having um, when when she comes across Arya. Uh, and, and she said, I dreamt of a man without a face waiting on a bridge that swayed and swung. On his shoulder perched a drowned crow. 
with seaweed hanging from his wings. And, um, you know, knowing that this is Euron's nickname, that he's known as the crow's eye. And of course, we know that, um, you know, this particular prophecy point is referring to Balon. Um, that could be a little bit of foul play going on amongst the Greyjoy family. Power struggles are what this, uh, what the book series and the show does best, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, embellishing all of the various nuance that exists, all the different ways you can claim vie for power. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, we certainly have uh, a lot to look forward to knowing that this character has been cast and that the Greyjoys are going to be a part of season six and that David and Dan wouldn't not include them uh, unless they felt the reason very strongly um, because we know how precious screen time is. And this is also great news because it clears up in McShane to still possibly play the Mad King. Come on. <laughs> I would love it if he were bleach blonde like, for a role. That would be really cool. I know it's not going to happen. Everyone at home that's shaking your heads right now. Like Guy yeah. Pierce and Memento blonde. That would be, or, yeah. Even Maybe even like those, uh, the twins in the Matrix blonde, like just pure white. <laughs> Prepare to speculate because the speculation continues. One place I know that there will be uh, a lot of discussion about Game of Thrones season six is at New York Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's no better place uh, for the discussion except here. Not just here on in Game your of Thrones is pretty good. Well. What if we combine the two, Eric? <laughs> That's hard, Micah. That's literal wizardry. I know that, you know, MuggleCast is a thing, but that's literal wizardry. Mm -hmm. Are you a wizard, Harry? Yesterday was if I need to first. be, <laughs> I can be one in this case. I will okay. snap my fingers and the two will come together. Ready? Okay, snap your fingers, please. <laughs> hey! Well, I suppose now is a... Uh, more appropriate time than any if you've listened to To His Company, a podcast that Christian Aaron, a.k.a. Hodor, uh, and I make. We, we sort of teased this a handful of days ago, but now that we're making another episode of Goo, why not tell everyone properly? Live from the Hard Rock Cafe in Times Square, New York, New York, Friday, October 9th, 2015. Game of Owns. Rave of Thrones. It worked. <laughs> if only other things were so easy as snapping your fingers. It's happening. So to all of you that will like to go <laughs> or that may already be planning uh, on heading over to New York Comic Con, we will be there. Game of Owns, this podcast, mm -hmm. will be live. Reunited with our good buddy, it's Christian true. Nairn. So in addition to our podcast, there is a lovely and very excitable handful of other bits that will be littered and scattered and sprinkled in your direction as the weeks progress. Some things that you'll love, some things that you'll love beyond measure. Mm. This is exciting, though. I mean, uh, the fact that we're going to be a part of New York Comic Con, the fact that we're going to be in New York City, where it's been quite a long time since I've done a live show there, and it might even have to go back. I got How long all ago of the was feels. it, Eric? As you're saying uh, this, all of the feels <laughs> just hit me like a wall, man. But it's Times Square. It's 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 you know. Yeah, we've never done one in Times Square before. Union Square, yes, but not Times Square. <laughs> it's about time, up. right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a bigger square. It's actually, I think, a hex. Uh, what is it? How many streets converge? I don't know. Many. 
It's crossroads of the world. Yes. There's like I said, there's so much to look forward to on this night, just beyond our podcast. Um it's gonna be so much fun. Brioma gang will be in attendance. And it's literally the list goes on. There's so much that obviously this is very exciting for the podcast and the community because we're actually going to have a beacon of a meeting place for all of you that are in the area to come and meet one another slash hang out with us and enjoy the podcast and all the other things that are lined up for celebration. In addition to closing the evening out with Christian jumping onto the turntables and throwing a massive rave of thrones as he's been doing around the world, culminating in one epic evening in your Comic-Con. Boys, how do you feel? words. That was a sentence. That was a really exciting sentence that you just said. <laughs> it's going to be a massive uh, celebration of A Song yeah. of Ice and Fire and of Game of Thrones. And we would be delighted, delighted if you would join us. Join us. So we expect to see every single one of you there. No excuses. There's plenty of space in Times Square, too. <laughs> That's true. Right? That's true. We're going to work out the sound system and just pump it right out of the hard rock. I feel like we should be dropping a ball. Not the ball, like dropping the ball, like not doing a good job, but like having a ball that drops. <laughs> More details, tickets, all of the fine print uh, can be found in our show notes. So go click on them if you'll be in New York City or would like to be in New York City on October 9th. And if you'd like to join us in Times Square to Hard Rock, please, please, we'd love to have you. I have a feeling there will be a group shot probably in Times Square afterwards. You never know. Just a lot of exciting news going on right now. Obviously, New York Comic Con at the top of the list. Uh, We're really looking forward to it. Um, But, Zach, you also mentioned earlier we have a brand spanking new website uh, that Mm. listeners can uh, look forward to. And there's going to be... uh, Really cool feature that uh, I I really I mean I got really excited about I know Eric did as well. Now that you've clicked Zach, through it, <laughs> your mind uh, just uh, it works in mysterious ways. So uh, I was just dog. really uh, I mean I'm I'm really thinking that this is going to be something that the listeners are going to enjoy. So more details to come there. One other thing uh, we just wanted to mention was uh, our Patreon. We're you know, looking into uh, some new and cool things that we're going to be adding uh, to the different tiers uh, in the coming weeks. So definitely stay tuned for that. And you can check out all the information uh, related to our Patreon at patreon.com slash goo. Definitely some cool things. Don't extend out the O's. Don't extend them. (laughs) Goo. If you type in like 17 goos, that's somebody else. That's not us. That's not us. But But we bought the other 16 domains. But where are we now? We're making a podcast for you all that are listening. This is Game of Owns. We're approaching 300 episodes steadily. Uh, this is 293, right? Episode mm-hmm. 293. So hard to believe, man. 300. I know. Not to get too nostalgic, but all the work on the new no, web- no, website. No, no, no. There'll be plenty of time just... for that on every subsequent episode. <laughs> keeping, <laughs> keeping my brain space uh, locked into uh, the history, the chronology of all that we've been doing together. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a really fun thing. And most of it is thanks to all of you who listen. Some of the some of the effort can be accounted for on our end, but a lot of the inspiration comes from the energy that you all collectively send us. And uh, what better episode than to have all these great things to talk about with uh, Patreon getting more exciting, with New York Comic Con being an unbelievable thing that we're so excited to be able to to share with you all. Uh, with with Euron being cast, like all these wonderful things, like what better for it to happen than on the podcast episode where we speak about 
these two chapters of the royal wedding between Marjorie and Joffrey. Uh, two chapters that I feel, well, one in particular that I feel like we could take out of the book and could stand on its own as some as some like mythical like tome of just the process in which something begins and then ends in such a maniacal way like the, the obviously have we'll, you read my notes for this chat? that was straight i feel exactly thank the same. you did it not feel so just like and i hate to jump right into it in such a strange way but this is the nature of how we do our podcast whatever yeah let's just do it yeah it felt way different than the television show which is not we don't normally compare the two because obviously they're two different mediums but i feel yeah. like a lot of the feeling that we were able to get from the way the the text limits our perspective and where the camera shows us so much, but also has to limit. Like I feel like a lot of the tone was reflected by like maybe uh, if you remember like the like the synthesizer like in the background of Joffrey's wedding, kind of like the sinister music as the shot would change or like go back to Joffrey sitting down. And I felt mm-hmm. like maybe that was meant for you sullied listening to feel like something bad might happen now. And for us unsullied listening who didn't or watching who didn't know that Joffrey was going to be poisoned at his own wedding to maybe just feel a sinister creeping in, a sinister vibe creeping in. But you could you could actually feel it. Yeah. And that wasn't the only thing I was feeling. I was feeling a little full reading this chapter, too. All of the courses. <laughs> they're, they're, they're at this wedding, of course. And, and I wouldn't eat half that stuff. Are you crazy? What do you like, mean you wouldn't eat half of that stuff? I would eat all of it, just so we're clear. Would, yes. I was, was celebrating all amazing. it. I know there's a cookbook out there, a Game of Thrones cookbook, but, but man. Yeah, Feast of Ice and Fire. Pick it up. To actually, to actually though, to actually sit and at a wedding where there's 77 courses, and George, George describes a damn near a couple dozen of them uh, as they come out through this chapter. That alone is a feat. I, the level of detail that has never been impenetrable for, for a reader to get into is just so perfectly explained. It's, it's a heck of a feat mm-hmm. to be able to talk about that kind of stuff. I'll it's agree just with the background. that. That's just what they're all eating while these events come to fruition, while the dialogue is happening, while the characters are being it's a terrible great, to It's a great Tyrion. point, though. The, the level of detail in the food, in the costumes, in just the overall scenery uh, of where this wedding is taking place. And then, of course, you know, once they go uh, inside to have the feast, it's just amazing that somebody can process all of that and, and kind of think through uh, just <laughs> yeah. everything from the, the the types of food and, and, and how they go together. And, and I'm sure he made up many of these dishes himself, or maybe he even looked in history to see, you know, what kind of dishes were served back in sort of that medieval time period. But uh, and then just the colors and how they all go together. Uh, yeah, they in, really did. In, in, in the description of, you know, Marjorie and Joffrey and, and all the others uh, that were, completely decked out for this royal wedding they the colors match so well i noticed uh just on joffrey's new sword for one the the cherry wood you know mm-hmm. which would which would obviously have it's just they, they really did not they i speak i speak as they really did this but george crafted um such strong characters and has crafted such strong characters up until this point and you don't normally get to have the flex that was put into this chapter, which I felt like was a really fun part of watching the episode on TV because so many characters that we love or that we just enjoy or we know which feels good were interacting with each other, and that was neat. Mm-hmm. But to, to to read it 
um, and to have all of the the visceral detail. And obviously, we we're we're readers first and foremost, and I'm so obviously we enjoyed it to a very high level. Uh, was so 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 cool. And I think that I don't know. I, it's hard for me to manage my excitement for what I read right now because I have so many notes, um, and I'm probably throwing them all out because I haven't literally looked at any of them yet so far. And 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 it's it's just more fun to talk to you guys about it because we haven't got to talk about this yet. But yeah. It really, it really felt. It's just, I, I'm so glad. I'm thankful that that in a book like this, which has been so interesting. Like I know that a storm of swords has been so spread out since we ended season. What was it? Season four. Um, yeah. But I'd like everyone to be reminded. You know, if this were one straight read through, you know, the red wedding happened not too long ago, and right. we're here at another wedding, and George had such a, a wonderful sense about him to set up the wedding with the Sansa chapter like like to to just aggrandize it even further by giving it such a runway before it even begins oh again yeah you're talking about traditions that we're we're seeing and the characters kind of psyching themselves up or getting in the right headspace to attend this wedding because obviously the stakes are very high for Sansa in particular um you know having the chapter begin with her and George in general is doing something really interesting with the point of view chapters, because we have a Tyrion and then a Sansa, which is the Sansa that we're reading, and another Tyrion and Sansa after that. It's like a very focused concentration. True, that's where the plot is, but because I, I've I've found, and we often say this, that the chapters that we read for these shows complement each other a mm-hmm. lot. And when you're talking about Sansa waking up, for instance, and realizing that Tyrion's not beside her, we know he was just with Shay in uh, the room with the dragon skull. Yeah. But she has this knowledge of of where he goes when he's because he's just a bad sleeper in general. And even though they haven't consummated their marriage, even though she's about to be whisked away, we know from sort of seeing it on the show um, following Joffrey's murder. There, there, it comforted me to to sort of start with this very relaxed kind of. They have a knowledge of each other that is similar to being a married couple without any any additional. Like I know they haven't been intimate yet, but they they do know each other, and I think they like each other. It's hard to say because you know Tyrion in the first chapter is talking to Sansa. We're seeing it from Sansa's perspective. In the next chapter, he's talking to her, and she like looks away or looks down, and you just you're like, oh man, I yeah. wish we had a Sansa chapter. What's she th- what's she thinking right now? But it's just it's really good insight into those two characters' relationship dynamic. I love your point. I I was thinking just in the selection of text where it says her lord husband was not beside her, but she was used to that. Tyrion was a bad sleeper. Blah 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 blah. Smell of the morning breath in the ovens took him to the kitchens, and sometimes he would climb to the roof garden or wander all alone down traders walk and i was just thinking how this one paragraph is is filling filling in the story with what feels like their day-to-day life for just a snippet but it's filling in all that you said which is this per this this dynamic of what could be a married couple the fact that she's able to to think not Mm -hmm. fondly but just to 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 casually yeah, she just knows she's like oh he's not he here is. he's probably reading exactly he could be sm- smelling stuff in the kitchen it's good to know he can still smell exactly. i know that may sound like a joke <laughs> but it took a second read through this chapter to be like oh she said he can you know still do I, you mm-hmm. never know because he talks about his wound a lot um, I, I don't know that she necessarily likes uh, well it's hard to say I, I i think she's she's certainly satisfied in a way that it is Tyrion that she's been married to because if you look at their interactions, uh, she really just seems extremely distant when mm. they 
talk to each other. And, and obviously she has reason for this. Uh, I think she's still very much thinking about her family. Uh, that's the case at the very beginning of this chapter. Uh, and I think, you know, just Joffrey is a constant reminder of the position that her family is in, uh, going all the way back to Ned. Uh, so I, I think that it, it's sort of an amicable relationship between the two of them, but I don't think deep down, um, as maybe was more so portrayed in the show, um, that Sansa, you know, sort of has any level of affection, uh, for Tyrion. I'm not just talking physically here. Uh, I, I think it, again, you know, she, she talks about it when she's going to the presentation of, of the presence, right. And that mm -hmm. she's being considered a Lannister, uh, so it's still a name that ha carries such a deep level uh, of resentment for her. And, uh, you know, I again, you know, sort of tipping the cap to George, the, the way this chapter opens, um, you know, this is the, sort of the passage that follows what Zach was just reading um, with the clouds and the castles in the clouds and mm. uh, interesting how they you know, the wind mushed them together. And then there was only one castle when there had been two. <laughs> and, and then this castle starts to fall apart later on uh, uh, when she's looking out there. the window. Uh, very much, I think, was foreshadowing what was to come um, just later on that day with the royal wedding. It's so disarming when you have these elements of high fantasy mixed in with such uh, real depictions of these people inside of this world. I know we've spoken about it before, but... Keep in mind, people, this is a, a world in which a place like Dragonstone exists. Right. Uh, think about it. And these are the people that are living with, within it. I, it's so cool. At the beginning of this chapter, Tyrion tells them all, hey, by the way, it's, it's the new year. It's time to yeah. celebrate the new century. This is the 300th year since Aegon's conquest. So you think about 300 years ago, Aegon I, you know, conquering Westeros. From all of the 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 separate lords of the kingdoms, or the separate kings from the separate seven kingdoms, and you think about this this storied, historyed place, and we just have Sansa Stark, highborn, a lord's daughter, about to attend the royal wedding, which is the royal wedding on the first day of the three hundredth year since the Targaryen dynasty like took over, and you know, like it's here, it's it's we're in this. I just it's 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 mythical yet so surreal to all of us. Isn't it cool though how Tyrion is the one who sort of always brings up these Targaryen nuggets? Like he does it in this <laughs> chapter, and then he does it when he's talking with Oberyn uh, in in the next chapter. So I, well, I don't he know. reads he reads a whole. I lot. I know he does, but I, I just found it it is it is cool knowing where his story's going. Right, exactly. And we just left him, you know, in a room full of dragon skulls. For you know, he's essentially just having sex with someone. I know yeah, that it you, means a lot more to him. But and the other thing about Sansa with the clouds too is that it's very—it's a child thing to do—is to look up at the sky and what do you see in the clouds? Oh, that one looks like a castle, you know, kind of thing. It like takes you back to kind of childhood. And I think that may be meant symbolically to show maybe a shedding of innocence, a growing up kind of thing, because it's like the very beginning of this chapter, and by the end of it. She's, you know, disappeared yeah. from the Purple Wedding. You know, you don't know what's going next. But it just I seems like, like that, a very though, good place to start. That you interpreted that way. I looked at it more so as the coming together of Baratheon slash uh, Lannister and Tyrell. And that not long thereafter, it, it, crumbles, it crumbles to the ground. Yeah. Or it could just be clouds. <laughs> God, it could just be, could just no, be spilt it milk. It could. 
Yeah. But it's it's great that you saw that though, Mike. Like I said, because it's it's the sort of thing that you would see in the kind of story based in a place like this, and the kind of story like this, but presented to us much differently. Yet we're still getting those elements. Yet mm-hmm. we still we still feel all the things that we should feel, and arguably it affects us on a much deeper level because we're able to connect with it on a much deeper level. And I don't know, it's just interesting to me. And as you go along this chapter and you, you feel the connection that they have and you know, you know that it's not great. You know that they go to breakfast together and while the food sounds delicious, neither of them want to eat. Tyrion's drinking. He's starting to drink. He's starting what will be. <laughs> I've tried to count the amount of wine that he drank for just to be able to say on this podcast and how funny it would be, but I lost count around a million. So that's he drank a million wines and started this morning at just before he went to breakfast. Sansa was like, they'll have wine when we go to breakfast. And he's like, yeah, but there's wine here. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be a, a proper Thrones video game where you you play as Tyrion and you have an inventory throughout the whole game. And his inventory in this chapter, when you get to this point in the book, is just a million wine. Just a million wines. But that's 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 what it is. It's a wedding. It's time to celebrate. The wine is flowing. There's somebody whose job it is to refill his cup anytime he signals. It's a good position to be in. Like even though I, I guess there might be a little bit of a difference with the people who are in attendance at the wedding in the book versus the show. Although I can't remember any of the riffraff being there. There is a lot more in the show about, you know, giving scraps to them and that kind of thing. But in the books, uh, what struck me is just how many highborns are, are all there. And Sansa holds her own with them. She knows, she knows what to do. It's kind of weird because for most of the chapter, she's in a shell, but Tyrion notes that, you know, there is a point of today where, she really performs and seems to be in the zone. And then it's fleeting because as soon as they sit down to eat um, in the next chapter, she's, she's gone away again somewhere, but she's clearly thinking about all those things. She's thinking about how it could have been her uh, at, you know, a million years ago, Joffrey was her, was her shining, you know, shining prince. And now that's not to be, but she's probably really relieved. I don't know. Just kind of watching them get wed Tyrion has the same thoughts. He's like, oh, he can cloak her with the protection. She, he, he doesn't need a stool to do that. You know, they're all kind of just reminiscing on, on or reflecting on what has happened to them and the very situation that they are both in, except they're not doing it together. They're really quite separate. For being placed together, they don't speak with one. Everything Tyrion tries to say to Sansa sucks. He, like, invites her to cast really rock. Yeah. It's like the very last all places. worst thing that he should possibly say, but he does it trying to make her feel better and she just that just kind of seals the deal she just kind of hardens up and uh and starts repeating those lines that she has those great lines like i shall go wherever my lord husband wishes i shall be happy because he is happy but it does say something about the relationship that you know like even from the beginning of this whole entire process leading up to where they were during the feast she allows him to see her in this shell, whereas she reserves all of her social graces, you know, not letting other people to see her. That's a really good point. Feeling vulnerable. Um, you know, she does that for everyone else, but you know, even in front of Tyrion, you would think, you know, if, if, if their situation were different, she would treat him in another way. So it's not that she likes him, but I guess she's allowed herself to be vulnerable around him. And that counts for something. Perhaps it's more natural to 
give some time to the whole do I like Tyrion type thing because maybe I mean not only does will distance make the heart grow fonder but I think you know in the show it's very streamlined because there's 10 episodes to tell the story in and they had that great moment between them that wasn't in the books about his watch beginning or whatever but I think you know in the books it's more like maybe she'll appreciate him more the fact that he was kind to her maybe she'll really appreciate it more when he's not around and maybe I'm not saying she'll still consider herself married to him or whatever but I'm saying in the future, because we don't, we also don't know what, or I don't know what Sansa's uh, book plot is going to be the next couple books. But I'd like to think that she will respect Tyrion in a way that so many other characters respect Tyrion um, for his differences. He is the best Lannister. Um, and if she had to pick one to be married to, I'm sure that she would agree that he was the right one. Mm. Um, but ultimately, she's a hostage here. And for that, you know, I mean, it's it's a miracle that with all else going on, um, she's able to, to find a way out or see a way out. But there's just there's so much in this chapter detail wise, so many pieces of food, so many jabs between Tyrion and Joffrey. And I mean, even even just the wedding, all the all the gifts that everybody gives is really cool. A few gifts in particular are are obviously uh, important, especially in the next chapter, one in particular, uh, and that was the gift that was given by Mace Terrell. Uh, so <laughs> if, if you needed nothing else to convince you that the Terrells could potentially be somehow involved in what <laughs> happens to Joffrey, uh, this would be uh, a moment to consider, knowing that he is in fact poisoned, uh, that it was the Terrells who give him uh, this golden chalice uh, that... Uh, he inevitably drinks from. So the other gift, though, uh, that uh, they did a good job of it, uh, I thought, in the show really replicating was the gift that Tyrion uh, gives to Joffrey and oh, the way man. that Joffrey responds to it, right? The lives of four <laughs> kings. And, and so, first of all, let me just say that, and this is an after-the-fact point, but Garland, right? Yes. Yeah. Sir I like Garland. this guy. Yeah, he is, he's a good dude. He, he's a good dude. Yes. But I just wanted to point out uh, that I found it a little suspect, right, that Joffrey uh, takes his new sword, right, Widow's Well, and he chops his book in half. It takes him a couple tries. You know, he hasn't been going to the gym enough. Uh, and it's it's called The Lives of Four Kings. And he chops it right down the middle. Yeah. He is the fourth king in the War of Five Kings to die. Oh, jeez, Micah. Come on now. Uh, you got to shape me And like they have that. that argument about their need. There should be five kings. Tyrion has that argument. But I, I, don't, I didn't find, with, and there's probably a few exceptions in here, Joffrey isn't really very respectful of most of the gifts that <laughs> no. he gets. I mean, he's <laughs> listen, about listen. Like, No, 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 no. And it's fitting that he, for the chapters in which... Uh, are the last chapters of his life um, that he is a great a world-class shit Uh, this almost in and of itself if you hadn't seen the incident with Micah if you haven't been reading the previous chapters of the pre of all the previous books and were completely (laughs) unfamiliar yeah you just did this one I mean, if you just did this one, which you could do because it stands on its own, right? Exactly. It walks up, it stands so. up and walks across yeah. the room on its own, as we were all agreeing to uh, in the beginning of our discussion. This, this, you can, uh, you wouldn't find yourself having a whole lot of sympathy. I mean, the the stuff that was captured so well on film, you know, from the wedding where he's uh, making, where he's kicking the cup 
you know, and all that. But even before in this chapter, in the Sansa chapter, and with the the cutting of this book, it's it's tantamount to you don't you don't burn books, you don't cut books up. Books are great. I mean, Sir Garland says, perhaps you did not know, in all of Westeros, there were but four copies of that book. illuminated. <laughs> and all he says is, now there are three. And I have this to say... This is handwritten, man. We didn't have the printing <laughs> press back then. Handwritten. And now there are three. I mean, that's just Joffrey like, oh, I have all this power. Look at me. Oh, now there are three. I also don't like Tyrion at all. Or his gifts. Yeah. Oh, no matter yeah. if Kevin Lannister supports that it's a book that every Kevin Lannister... Read. Like is is also the best guy for Tyrion's side right now to just make that comment. Oh yes, this is a wise gift. Like it's good to know somebody in that effing throne or somebody in that room appreciates it. I just want to before we get go on any further, uh, read to all of you the gifts that Joffrey yes. received at his wedding. Um, I will. I would love to get married uh, sometime soon if the gifts are anywhere near, uh, oh, and especially if there's two gift giving sessions, right? The first, the first time it's for them as, as individuals and, yes. the se- and the next day for them as couples. That's a cool, maybe that's a thing that we already do, but uh, I don't know. Reading about it in the book was like, this is the coolest thing ever. From Yalabar Zoe, Joffrey mm. received a great bow of golden wood, golden wood and a quiver of long arrows fletched with green and scarlet feathers from Lady Tonda, a pair of supple riding boots. From Sir Kevin, a magnificent red leather jousting saddle. Think about that, guys. A saddle. Uh, like, that's, it's a great, you know it's a great saddle. He's giving it to the king. A red gold brooch wrought in the shape of a scorpion from the Dornishman, Prince Oberyn. Um, okay, he might wear it sometimes. Silver spurs from Sir Adam Marbrand. A red silk tourney pavilion. Okay, this is what you see when people are tailgating and or <laughs> when people are in a joust. He literally gave Joffrey a red silk tourney pavilion, a whole pavilion from Lord Mathis Rowan. Lord Paxter Redwine brought forth a beautiful wooden model of the war galley. Okay, so this is the model of a ship. This is uh, something he can keep in his study or his bedroom. Of 200 oars being built, even now on the... Okay, so wait, he gave him an actual war galley for his wedding. So a huge ship. Uh, If it please your grace, she will be called King Joffrey's Valor, named after him. Yep. (laughs) He said. And Joff allowed uh, that he was very pleased indeed. He says, I will make it my flagship when I sail to Dragonstone to kill my traitor, Uncle Stannis. And and here's here's the problem with Joffrey. He's like, they, they're giving him these wep- these gifts, which could go either way, except for the sword. Possibly, the, what else do you use a, a, a ship for except to go kill people in, in this world? But I'm thinking, like, he continues to think about killing his family, things that are technically like you're not supposed to do, you know? I don't know. It's just kind of he he has a singular use for them, like the arrows he appreciates the um anything that he can ride into battle with that's gonna help him ride into battle, and most of these gifts follow that he likes that when you know Tyrion gives him a book that would legitimately help him improve his uh everything about being a king by you know reading from the past, he cuts it in half it's like what what are you gonna do? this kid is you're meant to see that he is like almost beyond helping and reason which if you didn't see that when he first sentenced ned stark to die then you're kind of a lost cause but i mean it just it's reiterated in the in these chapters that he only has one purpose and that's to be a great a world class douchebag he is only 13 though so you can understand why he would be that excited about a huge book 
Yeah, it's probably intimidating. I don't know what the, the education system is like over there. I think Sansa, doesn't she say something along the lines of in her mind? Like, she wonders if he reads along with those big lips of his. She does say that. That's a little bit read, of shade Sansa. from Sansa that I was not prepared for. Because yeah. if I'm engrossed in a reading, I sometimes read with... Maybe I shouldn't actually <laughs> admit to that. I possibly one day, hypothetically, have read in the past with my lips, so... And then we remember the kind of person Joffrey is, and then we mm-hmm. pretty much permiss any kind of shade thrown in his direction. Yes. These gifts are, uh, I guess, worthy of a king, but are they really worthy of Joffrey? Well, uh, no, he should just get a big bag of coal. But I was thinking of when, when Zach was talking about, too, about how they, they must be well-made because they're with the king. I mean, for the king. I was thinking of the artisans who are making these uh, things, like the jousting saddle or the the gold brooch, and I'm thinking, oh man, you know, they they must have a fire in their hearts to be like try and make it the best thing they've ever done, mm-hmm. because it's for the leader of all of us. Yeah, you know, Oberyn wasn't there working with the metal. You know that uh, Sir Kevin didn't, you know, leather tool that saddle. Right. Um, it's just like they got somebody else to do it, but that person probably of a lower, you know, lower birth class uh, worked and slaved and, and made a really fine item. Any of yeah. these items. And hey, that's why it's worthy of our discussion, people. All right. Exactly, that's why we're going on. Any of these, these items, <laughs> any of these items would be seriously amazing. The chalice, right? It, that owns in and of itself. That's right. like a Stanley yeah. cup or something. seven sided, right? Yeah. It's yeah. got it. The sigil of the great houses, Ruby lion, Emerald rose, onyx stag, silver trout, blue jade, falcon, opal sun, and, Pearl Direwolf. Yeah. And all and Joffrey course, says is, oh, we're going to have to cut those some of those off. <laughs> right. And he's kicking it around in the next chapter. Oh, I know he's yeah. a little drunk, but I mean, come on. A little drunk. <laughs> a little drunk. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I'm sure we'll get to that. Joffrey gets really drunk. But also, um, he makes a comment about needing to cut the Direwolf off and replace it with a squid because mm-hmm. obviously uh, there's different people running Winterfell right now. That's such a rude thing to say right in front of Sansa. No, and it, it's actually because it's in her POV, we get a we get a sentence following that that says Sansa pretended that she had not heard. Yeah. You know, it's just like it's if she had heard, what would her reaction be? You know, if she well, what if she could respond, what would it even be? I mean, it would be a pretty witty retort, right? But she doesn't give him the pleasure anymore. The following uh dialogue goes on and uh Tyrion says the damn thing's as tall as I am. Half a chalice and Joffrey falling Tyrion. down drunk, and she yeah. thinks, "Good, perhaps he'll break his neck." There is. I Ooh. do want to talk about that because it's it's pretty funny how um, Tyrion's own actions. I don't want to say condemn him because that I think is still more of a show thing when it comes to the finer points of exactly what goes down. But there's a lot of lines either in the Tyrion's point of view or during uh, Sansa, where they both kind of wish him ill. They think, oh, maybe he'll break his neck if he gets too drunk. Or um, Tyrion comes out and actually says, uh, yeah, he's he's earned a dagger, wouldn't you think so, Sansa? Um, You know, talking about killing him. And it's funny because it's on the tip of everyone's tongue, but neither of them necessarily have any knowledge about the plot um, to actually kill him, and actually today. It's just kind of like he had it coming. There's, to me, a a major plot point here that starts to unravel a little bit as we get deeper into this chapter and even Mm -hmm. into the next chapter. Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to get both of your thoughts on it because it's something that is not referenced at all in the show. Maybe it will be at some point in the future uh, as, as knowing Bran has visions, but 
what did you guys think of this? I mean, Tyrion is in essence accusing Joffrey of being responsible for sending the cat's paw after Bran. This is kind of crazy. This beautifully underscores uh, what Eric was saying about you know this standing alone painting Joffrey as a person deserving of meeting such an ill fate. Like it's just kind of our last ditch effort, George's last last ditch effort to really tell us what kind of person that Joffrey is. It is very interesting that this reveal happens in this, in this chapter. Again, it's like saying he's not a good, yeah, he's not a good kid. And it is shown to be, I mean, it's very, I don't want to say it's vague and that's not overtly stated, but in, in Tyrion's reaction in the Sansa chapter, and then uh, she understands kind of, I think even what he's saying or, or when he tells her about it or asks her about if Bran and, you know, the, the prince, the then prince Joffrey ever fought, she has sort of an emptiness that he can't describe. And it's just like, it, it you, you really think that it was without provocation, like just because Joffrey thought it would be fun um, that he ordered somebody to to kill the then crippled uh brandon stark um in in bed and and we don't know right now the reasoning behind it i think that's what Tyrion is trying to uncover in his conversation with sansa towards the end of the chapter Uh, you know was there sort of any ill will between the two of them Uh, but there is just the chance that joffrey would want to do something like this because He's, he's Joffrey. Joffrey, and he's an unstable young kid still. And uh, you know, Tyrion also starts to realize here that uh, Joffrey may be getting on to him. You know, he's trying to be a bit subtle in in you know the, his second gift offering, which would be you know perhaps a knife to match your sword. <laughs> uh, Dagger so, of the same fine Valyrian steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and Tyrion's doing a bit of detective work in his mind. He's thinking through that Cersei and, and Jaime would not have gone the route that whoever was responsible for what happened to Bran uh, would. And uh, he even is about to talk with Sansa and you know tell her about how Catelyn had, had claimed that he was responsible for it. So uh, he's starting to you know do a bit of detective work here and eliminate suspects one by one and coming to the conclusion that uh, it was most likely Joffrey who was responsible for trying to kill Bran after he fell from the tower. I I don't know. It's so funny that you have a a person who is not, he's, he's doing his mother and father's job for them without knowing it. Right. This isn't like, Oh son, you've got to protect the, um, the true story of your lineage, uh, he, you know, this kid saw us go and kill him. Joffrey completely independently, like, does this, and both Jamie and Cersei would have benefited if, if it were successful. And they, uh, it, it causes a problem when Joffrey's plot is not successful, uh, for them. But it's basically like they, they got a free, free pass in terms of what Bran saw. Um, well, they get that because he's amnesiac uh, and doesn't remember it afterwards. But I'm saying in general, you know how it, like convenient it is to have Joffrey go and try and kill this boy just for fun the day after he saw something that could completely unravel the entire like Seven Kingdoms? Yeah. This is just playing devil's advocate, though. Do you think that perhaps Joffrey felt in a way that he was providing a bit of mercy for Bran? 
It's strange because there's a mention early on. He was just kind of like he wanted to take care of the situation, but he could because he couldn't handle. I think it had to do with the attention and the oh. both being young kids and how Bram was getting this, getting this sort of you know sad sort of. It, it changed the mood of their visit entirely. And I just think in general, the kind of domineering personality that Joffrey was, he did not like how it was shaping out. So maybe it was a little bit of that ingrained, but I, I don't think so. I think mostly it was just about you know, putting a little fucker out of his misery in Joffrey's brain. Yeah, that's very interesting. Time will tell if we'll get more insight yeah, into I'd love to know. what happened there. But the best best part about all of this is um, Tyrion isn't going through all that we've spoken about in the same moment. This is gradually happening to him the more he drinks and the more he becomes comfortable with his situation, although he's very uncomfortable because he needs to use the restroom as the as the story goes on we're we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves in some degrees but also you know this is the royal wedding there's lots of things happening as they're moving from location to location the more time he spends in in front of joffrey and he sees joffrey basically having a good time getting drunk and celebrating and marrying someone that is so beautiful and fair uh, he starts to feel jealous in many, many different ways. And, and that jealousy comes through in his inner speak. It comes through. He's struggling, I think, with her beauty and the fact that his nephew is getting this um, lovely bride and he has a bride, but there's that, that tension. Um, and then there's the closeness of Shay to her, which is really, really awkward um, too. But it's just like, in general, these two husband, this husband and wife, Aren't aren't meant to be husband and wife in those ways. And this is where we see more of the Oberyn we came to know in the television show. These quick little lines when when they're <laughs> when they're speaking. You know, this is the conversation when uh, obviously we talked about earlier where Tyrion has given us more context uh, inside of his brain, all of this knowledge that he has, and and this is a great conversation. They're they're talking about Baylor the Blessed and mm. how he was or wasn't bitten by. <laughs> many many vipers when he was walking the bone way barefoot to make peace mm-hmm. with Dorne and this is times long ago where their struggles were just as great as ours in the moment some would argue greater and in some cases maybe they were but this is where we are right now this is the third century past Aegon's conquest and this is Joffrey's wedding and these two people are having this conversation and they're speaking about the past as if it were something that would just be a casual event. But for Baylor the Blessed, whether or not he was bitten by vipers is a very important thing. <laughs> and I just, I, I find it so, so, you know, funny how it's just casually thrown in there by George R. R. Martin. But this is a world that he's built up and that if you go online and you read other mm-hmm. uh, works, they're, they're, it's, it's all fleshed out. There's so much here. But yeah. in this one vein, this one narrative, uh, it's it's conversation piece. It's, you know, it's it's fodder. Absolutely, and 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 Oberyn gets into it with with Tyrion a little bit about Viserys, and then Sansa is just this thing with Baylor. She finds out that again, what she thought to be true, the old story is not as is not as true. In fact, actually, Baylor was bitten about fifty times. Right. No, but I don't think you have to take it take Alaria at her word, right? It, right. It, to me, this was a, this was a very reminiscent of. People in different parts of the world have stories told to them differently, and they don't always have the same outcome or the same circumstances. And I think it was interesting to see how Sansa had learned the story versus how 
Oberyn or Ilaria had learned the story versus how Tyrion learned the story. And who knows which answer is is actually accurate or which story is actually accurate. Tyrion seems to support the idea that uh, he was actually bitten because he says if he had, he would have, you know, Viserys would have reigned for 12 years. Um, but it's in the next chapter, he says, never believe anything you hear in a song <laughs> to Sansa, too, which is good advice. For me, it's like the, it's all about the deprogramming of Sansa. It's always about sort of her growth, her realizing that all the songs are wrong. Um, it's kind of a recurring character theme that's very, very present. Meanwhile, our world is enriched. So it's like this one thing served the purpose of so many things. Um, excellent integration of what uh, those kinds of things in our real life uh, can do like when we talk about history or think about history or put it in conversational context, uh, how it, how it makes our world feel George R. R. Martin did it uh, in his fictional world, uh, very masterfully done. And then it immediately segues into a perfect exchange. And Tyrion says, and the seven kingdoms might've been better served. Some believe that Baylor was deranged by all that venom. Uh, Oberyn responds. Yes, said Prince Oberyn. But I've seen no snakes in this red keep of yours. So how do you account for Joffrey at his wedding? <laughs> think about that. They know him for what he is. And, yeah, of course. Oberyn especially. I mean, I think Garland does as well. Uh, there are a few characters, Elena Terrell, uh, that are able to Tywin. really see through. I, I would argue Tywin uh, as well. I, I think yeah. most of them do. It's Everyone. Just, they, they, there's a handful of them that aren't willing to just put on that filter and and really kiss his ass right uh the way that uh others do i just realized that this is our last this is our final bit with joffrey lannister on this <laughs> podcast thank can't wait you know well other than commentaries for oh yeah season okay so we've got a little bit, bit we've got a bit left but whenever a that happens a bit more joffrey to go i got sad for a moment but now it's fine we're just gonna enjoy and coast out this chapter properly uh, speaking of coasting out the rest of this chapter properly, keep in mind, everyone, Tyrion's drunk. <laughs> Hell, a lot of people are drunk right now. At this point, they've been I drink, would be. drinking wine all day. Micah would have a, a, bo- a bag of Franzia. He'd be carrying it around with him, just opening the tap, closing the tap over his chalice. Um, you know, it's it's moving along steadily. And this is where the, the festivities are transitioning. And... Finally, these two are are to be wed. Joffrey is in his beautiful dusky rose uh, yeah. doublet beneath the cloak of deep crimson velvet blazoned with his stag and lion. And this is what, Micah, you mentioned at the beginning of the chapter, how you know these outfits actually do look really good if you imagine them. And it's like George R. R. Martin uh, could be a fashion designer with how excellent you know that this must I do look agree. and feel. It's just amazing to me how the mind operates on on his end of things because I I know that he has such a you know deep knowledge and it is is well versed in history and and just sort of the type of medieval culture that he's able to really create these uh, these scenes and these moments and these people and then half the time he's describing stuff and I'll be honest with you like I I'll have to. Google different things to see exactly what he's referring to, but I'm not just walk away saying, damn, like he's, he's really that good. He's good. And it, it really fleshes things out. It feels great. It creates a picture for us that is incredibly vivid, which is excellent for those who are making the television show to have this kind of source material to draw from. Keep in mind. Meanwhile, Tyrion hasn't slept <laughs> from the night before with Shay and he's been drinking since then. 
and Joffrey is getting married to Marjorie right in front of him. So it's turned into quite an interesting day for Tyrion Lannister. As, as this chapter starts off, I mean, Tyrion's really racking his brain. Um, he's doing something that we've seen him do a lot throughout the course of the series, and, and that is strategize, I think. And, and maybe you wouldn't look at it that way in the traditional sense, but I think uh, he's really going through, and, and we talked a lot about this in the previous chapter, and he, he's spending a lot of time thinking about that dagger and, and what happened to Bran, and he's he's trying to rationalize everything in his mind and really find the way to place blame on Joffrey for what's happened. And I think the more that he thinks about it, the more he's coming to the realization that it's quite possible that his nephew is, is responsible for that attack. Yeah, I mean, he, he says things, uh, or in his head he thinks, uh, it says Tyrion wondered whose idea it had been to wait until Robert left Winterfell before opening Bran's throat. Joff's most like, no doubt he thought it was the height of cunning. He's evaluating <laughs> his nephew's, like, capacity for actual, like, um, intelligent plotting or any kind of strategy, and and he far outweighs it by by himself. He thinks that, he's like, okay, that was kind of smart, but Joffrey probably thinks it was, like, super smart. And this kind of battle of Tyrion's estimation of Joffrey going up against Joffrey is, is leading us into the eventual, eventual several confrontations um, that take place. I think during the feast when, um, when he again says, what does he says about the, uh, like I'll ride the um, cow. If you ride the dog, the pig, you know, because you're yeah. the only one I'm certain to beat. Yeah. It, it is, it is this uh, sort of pride that Tyrion has of his mind. And so starting the chapter off with him exercising it is probably fitting. And I mean, Tyrion, that's, that's what we get in a Tyrion chapter two is his mind at work. I mean, what those little said so that one thing he witnessed Joffrey saying to the hound now has all of the relevance and is sort of almost the the key piece where you're like, mm-hmm. oh crap, it was Joffrey. And I think here that this ties in well to what Zach was talking before in terms of how you develop uh, your your feelings for Joffrey, especially as you go towards the end of this chapter. But th- the beginning of it is opening with Tyrion contemplating Bran's potential death. You know, his attempted murder and pinning it on somebody like Joffrey. And and so the last time that you will get to experience Joffrey's character, uh, you're you're really building up a high level of hatred for him before it all comes to an end. He definitely didn't do this. George definitely didn't do this with Robin Catlin. (laughs) It's fitting, though, because think about not just what we're feeling for him, but that we're getting this much set up. Arguably, this death, right, sets in motion so much that has transpired on the television show that we've seen. Uh, and I really just harken back to how it's built up. You, you you, guys were talking about the mood and the Riverlands and how that really, whether you were looking at it from Catalan's perspective or even from Arya's perspective, uh, it really set the tone for the Red Wedding, which is something that you didn't necessarily get in the show. Um, I feel like you got a lot more of sort of the spiteful moments between Tyrion and Joffrey in the show. And so, you know, as it was getting closer and closer to that moment at the royal wedding, you were ready for it, right? Like, you're like, I can't wait for this little shit to just get what he has coming to him. And there's just, there's, somebody pointed out before, like, if you were to open up Storm of Swords, go to this chapter, uh, and and never had read anything about Joffrey before, I think 
just by his actions towards Sansa, towards Tyrion, uh, towards just people in general. In in these two snapshots, right, Sansa and Tyrion, you you would also feel the same way. Like you would say to yourself, this this little shit just needs to go. Yeah, and it was presented in such a, I mean, a haunting way. Like I said towards the beginning of the podcast, this is when where we are now in our discussion that things started to to really for me. I start to feel disjointed and I started to, you know, question uh, my reality. Essentially Tyrion is uh, going through in his mind uh, who would be mad enough to contest Joffrey's rule. Now, you know, he's yeah. thinking seriously about these things. He's basically going through the status of the war of the five Kings right now. He's asking after what, it, after what had happened to Stannis and Rob, who would contest Joffrey. Now he's not thinking who will contest us, the Lannisters, which is interesting. This is so Joffrey Cendric, he, he he's thinking there was still fighting in the Riverlands, but everywhere the coils were tightening. Sir Gregor Clegane had crossed the Trident and seized the Ruby Ford, then captured Heron Hall almost effortlessly. Seaguard had yielded to Black Walder Frey, Lord Randall Tarly held Maidenpool, Duskendale, and the King's Road. In the West, Sir Devon Lannister linked up with Sir Forley Prester, the Golden Tooth, for a march on River Run. Sir Rhymer Frey was leading two thousand spears down the twins to join them. Paxter Redwine claimed his fleet would soon set sail from the arbor to begin the voyage around Dorne. So they're heading toward Dorne through the step zones. Stannis is licensing pirates to be outnumbered 10 to 1. Uh, the struggle that the Maesters were calling the War of the Five Kings was all but at an end. And now we're celebrating this wedding. And now Joffrey is drinking from his chalice. And now Tyrion is drinking from his glass. And all that we've described has, hopefully, to you, the listener, uh, who maybe isn't reading along, the context has been fleshed out to understand the stakes here and how important all this is that's happening because at the very end of, of all of this, like we've seen in the television show, Tyrion gets to blame for what happens. And mm. it's so hard to argue motivations when these two chapters that we're speaking about are literally littered with references of Tyrion, like wishing he would die or, or like how he would have a hand in, in, in Joffrey dying. And it's just so interesting because through this perspective, we know that he didn't have anything to do with it. Absolutely. And watching it happen, um, you know, later on, just goes by. I don't want to say slowly, but seeing it in the show, the the great thing is the wealth of detail that's in this chapter means that just a couple of moments, Joffrey choking, are, are written about with such detail that it feels like it's happening in slow motion, which is yeah. kind of something that's really cool. Definitely. But you you do because I mean, Tyrion is is witnessing it happen. Um, we'll talk about that more in a moment, but but it's just so many things are going on. He's looking left. Here's what he sees. He's looking right. Here's what he sees. Here's what's being served as this is all happening. You and know, it's, it's going through the cloudy mind of someone who's been drinking all day. Yeah, and yeah. It's and it's still written. really on so point. And and in the show, of course, it happens. Uh, you know, fifteen seconds, maybe thirty-five seconds. You know, two minutes tops. Um, but it was. It's the same in the book. It's just because of the wealth of of information that you have. It. Again, I'll just say it. It feels uh, like slow motion to me. I love how it was captured, though, like truly representing the the the, the state of mind that Tyrion was in. I've I've seen drunkenness be referenced to in literature, and some people have have pulled it off really masterfully. And I've been in awe um, how sort of like the limited scope. Like uh, I was reading in the Silkworm how Strike was uh, across the table from uh, Jerry Waldegrave, and he looked down at his plate, and uh, and he could sort of see 
twinkling in this guy's mind, he was kind of unsure how his food had gotten there. <laughs> you know how like just just the the not necessarily the loss of short term memory, but just how your your limited perspective and your limited scope, if you're in that sort of state, can just be very changed. And I just thought it was so interesting how how George R. R. Martin began to tell us the story even more dreamily almost uh, as it was happening. And it was like the worst place for us not to be sharp and on our game because there's so many things happening at once. This is a celebration. Yeah. Uh, this is a party. There are so many people there. There's so many people that are important to us. Maester Picel is falling asleep while stuff <laughs> is happening. Uh, meanwhile, he's turning back to Sansa, who's kind of like treated as the anchor during this uh uh, entire exchange. I recommend it's all right. of you to he's read He's got it. women from the Summer Isles who are dancing around him, and yet he's <laughs> snoozing out. I know. Yeah. Well, that's because everyone's been drinking. Uh, Joffrey is gone. Uh, Tyrion calls him or says that he's more drunk than he is, and we, we know from Tyrion's perspective that he's had a lot of wine. And I keep mentioning it because it's very important in this chapter um, how much wine is involved with their celebrations. In the Sansa chapter, um, she considers having a cup of wine before she gets in the bath to calm her a bit. Uh, George made a, a very large uh, point by making this important, and I think that it reflects in his narrative structure. And it's like I said, if you if you haven't read this um, and you're following along with us just through audio and sort of getting the perspective of the books from there, just read it. Just go into uh, a Storm of Swords and, and read this chapter, this Tyrion perspective, because it, it's it's a real achievement. And we've spoken about how George has done interesting things with his writing and other parts of the story but i didn't i didn't expect this you know i didn't know that this would be part of it and i didn't see it in the show obviously it's hard to do that i feel like maybe it could have been achieved but it would definitely would have had to have been indoor they could have done it outside with the sun shining it just wouldn't have felt the same way but a lot of other reservations would have had to have been made and it would have it would have changed a lot of things and i know that i'm rambling here but i'm thinking about how this would have all fit together and i just you know, hats off to George R. R. Martin for making such a compelling way to tell such an important thing to happen. It's like a shame that Tyrion was off his game because so mm. much was happening and he could have maybe defended himself at the end of all of this, but he he couldn't because he, he was in this state, you know? Even a practice drunk couldn't handle how much he had been drinking. Yeah. You said it. There's like these moments of clarity, right? And And when he's thinking despite being completely inebriated you know he's talking about going away after this wedding it, it's almost ironic right that he wants to look to escape after all Go this to Bravos, is over maybe <laughs> yeah i i thought that that was really well written in there knowing that he is inevitably headed east that he's talking about visiting the three the free cities or seeing the titan of bravos i, I you know it was it's some of that you know information that's thrown in there that maybe you just don't pay attention to on the first read through uh, or even second read through. But now, you know, sort of why it's included in there in that uh, it's just it's smart writing. And we got the exchange between Olena and Sansa where she's like, you do look ex quite exquisite, child. And she goes up and fixes her hair net and adjusts her. Says the wind that's been getting I at her hair. I love that. And I, I like, love that so much. So interesting knowing, you know, beforehand, uh, before you read it. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Eric, how did you feel? How you know being informed it just kind of made you appreciate it more. That was yes, absolutely no, absolutely. Elena in this chapter is amazing. <laughs> like she's, yeah. I I I love how characters that are really well written in the book are adequ uh, completely accurately and superbly portrayed 
by the actors. We're not used to seeing that in the things in that the we see. No, no, really, we aren't. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, everything, even Jack Gleason as Joffrey, you know, you can write a character who's just this petulant ass. I've probably come up with other adjectives, grade A, world class, all this other stuff. Um, but, but then you actually have to commit that to film and David yeah. Dan's writing is a part of it, but the actors are part of it. And another one is Lady Olena. So yeah. Lady Olena, I mean, talking about everything, every comment from this woman is is very close to gold. And I don't know how she would feel if asked, isn't it a little on the nose that your husband has provided this chalice? <laughs> uh, she, she obviously, her, her method is much more subtle uh, with this, you know, touching Sansa's hair thing. So um, it's... It's kind of you just I I can't wait I almost want that scene like to be filmed, Diana Rigg like looking over at the actor who plays Mace Terrell and being like really a chalice really <laughs> like really um because perhaps you know that was Olena's idea that she's plotting maybe but what to I think well, it's it so obvious why would you think though yeah I, I don't know it just it just makes it uh, seems too obvious but uh, no I I love everything about this and and sort of. The way Elena is able to comfort Marjorie, Marjorie in this chapter walking up to Joffrey trying to stem the uh, disagreement um, and kind of get him back to to listening to the the music that's playing. We haven't talked about the music, by the way, the seventy seven uh, yeah. verse song, yeah, that that is just belted out uh, throughout. Oh gosh, so many drinks happened during that guy's song, but um, Lord Rinley's ride. Elena really takes charge in a really unassuming way you know and and she's the first one to scream uh somebody help the poor boy mm-hmm. you know yeah. when when he goes down but it's just extremely well played everything from when she's just like oh sansa your your hairnet like came out let me let me fix this for you um it's just really deftly done like she's total total power player and you would you wouldn't know it by the way it's written because it's written very sneakily um but it's it's perfect so yeah, using the show to inform us too. It's just like, oh, this is great. Um, you're able to really appreciate the writing. No, Simon Silvertongue. He's resting somewhere near the bottom of a bowl of brown down in Flea Bottom. I do, I do, I do want to say I I do like how it is um, outdoors in the show, but it's obviously a different effect. And I know you said this, Zach, but it's a different effect having it in the throne room. I mean, so many terrible things happened in the throne room. If you were to take like, you'd just be a, a fly on the wall across centuries of everything that's happened in that throne room from weddings to uh setting people on fire um it it just it it runs the gamut and so for that historical reason i'm sure that like the throne room was was the right choice but if you're having like you're talking about having pyromancers and pigeon pies and all sorts of other stuff it seems like more outdoor activities well, in the uh, books, the throne room is this, it's huge. I mean, yeah. it's got an iron throne that's, you know, yards and yards and meters taller that's true than too. it is in the show. So it's just, it's 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 a matter of uh, of adaptation. And I think that just from a filmmaking standpoint, technically, it, it served better in that sense. Think about how dark the, the Red Wedding was and how a lot of the promotional images from that were so grainy and how difficult it was to, to light in the... Uh, organize that many people in, in one place because you, you're sort of limited to a closed space. It's just much, much more doable and already a huge challenge to, to use the light of the sun and to, uh, to capture all that outdoors. So re- it's really more, it's more disarming too, when there's not that sort of inherent claustrophobia. I think so. I mean, for, for what happens, definitely. But there are musicians here 
and and like just exactly like we were talking about with the artisans who have to like come up with the saddle for Joffrey, the musicians playing at his wedding are playing songs that are meant to win his favor. And Tyrion knows this. And Tyrion, it's Tyrion's chapter, so he just keeps talking about how um, they they play the Tyrells song, and one of the uh, one of the guys plays Reigns of Casimir. Actually, I think they hear that a couple times. Yeah, a it's couple. Just like yeah, yeah a couple. Well, of what did she say at some point? She's like, I hope that they play the Reigns of Casimir next. I've forgotten <laughs> I how that it one. goes. <laughs> to live in that world, you you have to do that. You have to please the higher ups. This is a grand celebration, though. Seventy seven courses, and we have uh, like the the greatest. Uh, singers and musicians from around the seven kingdoms coming and, and competing for this golden prize. I just find it to be uh, so grand and decadent. And again, being told from this narrative, that's like kind of just, it's an interesting way to tell it because it's like we could almost, he almost has to write less detail because Tyrion is so tunnel visioned and one mm-hmm. thing at one time and then another thing at another time. But so much is going on. So many people here, food is being served, music is being played. There are verses flying around. Like Eric said, Reigns of Castamere is being played so many times. It eventually gets to the point where Joffrey calls out just like in the television show announces that the the jousting is going to happen. Oh, great. And this is where all of the dwarfs that were addressed as the the kings from the war of the the five kings come out and have their game and it's just sort of like the TV show it's very campy they have like a they have an act they have a watermelon and the helmet for when uh, one of them is beheaded, and it's actually quite a, a well rehearsed bit. Like they're they're performers, oh, yeah. and it's you know it's at the king's wedding, so it's a good time. Tyrion still has the thought to pay them after the fact, and uh, Joffrey, yep. just like in the show, begins to integrate Tyrion into the festivities, and this is where all of it starts to happen. They've both been drinking a whole lot. And it's just not a good mixture of of uh, personalities. This is like where it all comes to fruition. The slapping, the talking to during Blackwater, the talking to in the throne room, the talking to uh, at his birthday celebration. It's, it's all here now. You know, it's all this is where Joffrey is able to sort of finally be completely. It's just he he's not afraid of disappointing Tywin or his mother because he has a substantial amount of liquid courage and everyone there is celebrating his wedding. You're right. It it, it is the build up and you know but at the end of the day, this was done to shame Tyrion, right? It, it that that's what it is at its core. That's Joffrey's intention is to make a mockery of his uncle yeah. in yeah. front of all of these people and and so I, I think it's interesting how George writes this because you know, we, we talked about really all the interactions between the two of them leading up to this, not only in these last two chapters, but just in the books in general, right? Uh, and, and so you're, as a, uh, as a reader, you know, obviously you've been inside of Tyrion's mind. You know that he's not the one responsible for this, but uh, it's hard not to think that he wouldn't want to do something like this. Now, is he capable of it? Well, I think you'd have to be pushed extremely far, but you know, when you when you're treated the way that he's been treated and he's shown an amazing level of restraint, right? In, in terms of not reacting in a negative way, uh I just you know, I, I find it hard to believe that uh people wouldn't think him or or even Sansa as we you know get to later could could be responsible for for Joffrey's death. I I think it's a very real possibility. Uh, and, and, you know, everything that's kind of happened has just 
really played in into the hands of of Olena who and and yeah i mean you can have a plot to kill joffrey beforehand but i mean right. just kind of the way that it can so easily be blamed on on Tyrion. Tyrion being made as cupbearer those are things that we talked about in the show too like when we were talking about the show you you kind of can't pre-plan those things that that just kind of perfectly worked out with with joffrey's death rattle the pointing to Tyrion. it just and Im- the immediate implication of of him as being the, the killer really rules out uh cersei from from looking at anybody else and it's it's very 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 easy to do but it's it's not something that could have been done beforehand um on her part so i, I think bravo to to that working out that way absolutely and i think one thing that was not in the show is of course the during the actual choking scene is is Joffrey's literally clawing his throat. Yeah, that's uh, this was intense. This I'm, was intense. to the I'm point really of the muscles that, showing underneath. That is like the hound what the what the mountain did to Oberyn. That's like that light is is happening right now, which is terrifying. Like sort of what Catelyn did to herself on her face. Yeah, there's that. It's uh I mean, what else would you do, friends? And listeners, if your throat is closing and you're trying to breathe and, you know, this is all happening to you unawares, if you remember how it took place in the show, I mean, it took place exactly the same um, as it did uh, here in the books, which was he was sort of getting at the the zenith of his, after kicking the cup around and after, you know, making everyone in the room, everyone feel uncomfortable. And this is indoors and the really interesting part about this is, guys, did you feel like everyone was quiet and listening or was it uh, like limited to maybe just the people that are around this top table? I was so unsure because of the way George wrote it. And I thought it was kind of a, a mechanic of the state of mind and the just the sobriety of Tyrion in that in that moment. He was he was fine with what was happening um because he was so drunk you know what i mean like just a little bit of mm. liquid courage or whatever like he was he was not even caring about all the people that could have been watching you're right like he hears the laughter and he knows people are laughing but he's not looking at their faces right and but that and that's at different points um mm-hmm. you know a, along uh what's happening which of course i feel like everyone would be watching the king so that's just obviously the case but it was it was very interesting writing and again going back to sort of the haunting atmosphere i think you you should all read it but when when joffrey is is eating the pie he's eating the pigeon pie this is after he sliced open the pie uh, again marjorie uh is is playing babysitter for him and um uh, he's not portrayed as he is in the show which in the show i feel like he was just very angry and sort of like an evil personality here he is that but he is also being completely controlled by how out of it he is by how drunk he is so it's just it's adding to this overall sort of reckless atmosphere on everyone's part and he's Mm -hmm. chugging wine and he's stuffing his face with pie just doing something that no one would do you know what i mean like this is not something that you would do unless you were completely wasted and it's just you even you weren't even thinking like he's being led by his anger in the moment and his problem that he has with Tyrion and his disdain and like their personal clashing that they always have coupled with the fact that he's having such a good time and he's confident and he's the king and he's so drunk so that's why he's just recklessly stuffing his face with pie and recklessly drinking wine so of course at at first everyone thinks he's choking Mm -hmm. and maybe he does too maybe right he thinks he's choking maybe he doesn't think he's poisoned but either way he knows that he can't breathe 
And no matter how intoxicated he is, he tried to open up his own throat with his fingers to breathe. Brutal, George R. R. Martin. He even had a spoon shoved down there too, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. So that his throat couldn't close um, further. I just think of like a medical procedure show saying somebody screaming, we have to intubate. Yeah. It's, it's a terrifying Tracheal way to tube. die. It, it is a terrifying way to die. And we talk about these characters who have these horrifying deaths. It's kind of what George is known for. Um, I think personally for me, it's the, uh, the, the rats at Heron hall uh, in the box and lighting the fire. That was probably be the worst way to die, but, but this is close. Um, and, you know, we talked about Joffrey sort of, earning it or deserving it but you, that's kind of it's you have to kind of tread carefully there i mean does anybody really deserve this kind of uh, a death if there is a character is it joffrey who deserves it just think about the way he gloated over the red wedding yeah I, okay i take that back he deserves to die <laughs> and he's responsible for killing ned but i wonder i wonder if anybody gave owns to like the pigeon pie well <laughs> like, there's one way to find out we do often mention that chapters go together conveniently well and i think maybe We'll all look back and, and appreciate how conveniently well they did go together uh, on our discussions for the podcast, for instance, not to mention for the entire books. That goes, yeah. without, goes without saying. But I feel like giving owns for this uh, episode is, is particularly difficult because these two chapters went together probably better than any two chapters we've ever had. Yes? Yeah. I agree. I mean, as at least as well, if not more than the the Red Wedding ones, the uh, with Arya following. Yeah, that's uh, that, true. That was, oh, that was also yeah. really good, but... Again, we're talking about Storm and Swords. Like this yeah. is why people say this is the yeah. best book. My own for the Sansa Four chapter goes to that poet. You know, the unnamed poet in the background. Whoever thought that it would be a good name for a sword to call it Widow's <laughs> Whale? Right. <laughs> that is downright poetic. You know, uh, he felt very happy. He, he's like, I'm the one that he picked mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. He tells that story in the pub later. Like I came up with Widow's Whale. Um, because it, I thought Heart Eater, I thought it couldn't get like any cooler, any more like badass Joffrey's <laughs> evil needs to die than Heart Eater. But, uh, sorry, Widow's Whale actually takes it. Um, and Joffrey likes it so much that he's like, oh yeah, this, this will make many a Widow well. My own for this particular Sansa chapter, we'll go to the relationship between Sansa and Podrick Payne. Uh, or or maybe just to Podrick. Uh, or maybe just, a, it's 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 a tough call. I just, I loved their exchange. Uh, she's like in her brain thinking about how she thought that Podrick could have possibly been shady because he's the cousin of Sir Ellen, Ellen Payne who had decapitated her father, who she mm. was quite fond of. Not Ellen, her father. And possibly, you know, could have some of that bad blood inside of him. Uh, but she noticed that whenever he speaks to her, his face turns violent, like an alarming shade of red. And she's like, okay, he's really, really scared of me. Like he's a boy <laughs> and he's afraid to talk to this highborn girl. And she approaches him at the beginning of the chapter. She says, are purple, gold, and white the colors of house paint, Podrick? She asked him politely. He says, no. I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he blushed. And then he goes textbook on her. There are gold coins, checkered pattern, my lady. Yeah. We've all been there. Speaking it's a bit like someone. stacking the deck, though, isn't it? Like for in Tyrion's favor to have George's narration in Sansa's head being, uh, oh, yeah, he said that whole thing while talking to the feet. And then have Tyrion deliver a line like, uh, he can tell you the whole story. Uh, there's an interesting story behind those coins. He can tell you all of that while looking at your feet. It's yeah. just like super fun. He'll confide it to your toes one day. Yeah. Uh, but mm -hmm. now we must be getting to breakfast. Yeah, definitely. 
It, yeah. it was great. Uh, also, honorable mention to Aegon, who, in Tyrion's words, was such a fortunate fellow. Two sisters, two wives, and three big dragons. What more could a man ask for? Yeah, that's owning. <laughs> that's definitely owning. I, I just, uh, I have to give it to uh, Garland Terrell because yeah. he just, he was a breath of fresh air uh, in this chapter, which was, you know, filled with some pretty tense moments. And I feel like he was an ally uh, to Tyrion and to Sansa if not, uh, you know, directly and, and sort of overtly, he was he was just there to kind of make, uh, oh, shit, he's calling me. Garland, <laughs> thank you, Micah, for giving me that own. I'm overlooked as one of the lesser Tyrells. <laughs> no, I, I just liked, uh, you know, his interactions uh, with uh, them in this chapter. Not bad. He does do his, he does do his solid, too, warning him when uh, it is him who warns uh, Tyrion when Joffrey's about to dump the uh, chalice on him, right? Yeah, he's like, hey, look out. That would be my own for the Tyrion chapter if my own for the Tyrion chapter were not, in fact, going to Lord Giles for getting over his cough. <laughs> um <laughs> Slightly, slightly, or you know, I'll give it to Sansa. Sansa at least compliments Lord Giles that yeah. his cough was sounding better, which is a hell of a nice thing to say to a man who could be dying. Or, or, I mean, you know, a cough, a little bit of a cough, can mean something a whole lot more. Uh, you never know. So Sansa and her courtesies completely win. Um, they, they, they really, really, really win. Uh, Lord Giles' affection, Lancel's affection, Kevin's affection. Everybody loves some Sansa. So, um, own to her. I, I have to give it uh, to Tyrion's deductive reasoning and his mm. continued uh, sleuthing skills in trying to figure out what happened to Bran. My own will go to the one, the only, Galleon of Koi. He's a big barreled chested man with a black beard, a bald head, and a thunderous <laughs> voice that can fill every corner of the throne room. He brought no fewer than six musicians to play for him. I'd like to inform everyone that he, unlike all of the other contestants, played only one song. Mm. But the own doesn't go to the fact that he is who he is. The own goes to the fact that he told everyone he was to play one song, and the one song lasted longer than everyone else's playing put together. <laughs> Yep. So, own to you, Galleon of Koi. You for really hogging the stage. For hogging the stage, for writing a song about Blackwater, which is like well. very, very cool. I feel like he's the original person in Westerrock. He, uh, he <laughs> started the trend. You know, if it, if it weren't for the music, I just had this thought. If it weren't for the music at the at this wedding, you would just hear the sounds of a thousand people eating. <laughs> like, it's like lunch at school. Yeah. So, oh, you're right. Just a dull roar. And the clatter of utensils. The sound of a thousand owns headed our way. Familiar. I know the sound. Micah, are you privy to the sound of a thousand owns headed in our direction? Sounds like birds. Sounds like season five. <laughs> Sounds like bugs. <laughs> it's really nice to see these old familiar faces on the own list, isn't it? In the own bag. Sorry, I'm peeking in the own bag. I don't know if that's not allowed. You know it's not allowed. Our friends are back. <laughs> giving giving us their owns, which is great. Of course, we uh, put the word out on Twitter and Facebook, as well as uh, opened up our email inbox to your flurry of owns, and you responded, uh, as you normally do, uh, with uh, quite a grouping of creative owns. And I think, let's start over on Twitter. And Eric, mm. you mentioned uh, familiar faces... Uh, that are sending in their owns. Uh, 
one here from our good friend uh, Susan Stacy, who says for the Sansa chapter, unlike his cousin Illyn, Podrick Payne owns his tongue and guards it well. <laughs> you know, I wonder if that's not because of his cousin Illyn. <laughs> nice. Brian of Tarth. Takes a break from filming season six to write in. Joff is what happens when you put a douchebag out on the back porch in June and leave it there till August. <laughs> okay. That's my new favorite thing. Not she's bad. just she's just direct to the point. It's a singer. She's brash. She's the Donald Trump of the Game of Thrones world. Don't quote Mike on that, Brienne. We love wow. you. Blue Winter Rose, owned to George R. R. Martin for the line about Tyrion wishing he could strangle Joffrey. Strangle Strangler? Hashtag irony. Hashtag clever misdirection. Another good friend of ours, Gary Manis. My Manus. own goes to Sansa for dreaming so sweetly of a stark reunion that we all wish for too. Hashtag the real wolf pack. Oh. Carlos. She had been back in Winterfell, running through the godswood with her lady. Her father had been there and her brothers, all of them warm and safe. If only dreaming could make it so. <laughs> it's very poetic. I know. Jeff Tuttle on Facebook, he owns the Sansa chapter. If you were a viper, my lady, would you want to bite a bloodless stick like Baylor the Blessed? I'd sooner save my fangs for someone juicier. A great own quote for Oberyn talking to Sansa. Her life is taking big turns frequently, and she's able to handle them very well, maybe without her even realizing it. For Tyrion's chapter, he says, The king's chalice was on the table where he'd left it. Tyrion had to climb back into his chair to reach it. Joff yanked it from his hands and drank long and deep, his throat working as the wine ran purple down his chin, owned to the very subtle details of the moment where Joffrey drinks to his death. Unlike some other death scenes, this one lasted for a few pages with great detail and shine light on every character reaction to the event. I completely agree. It I'm was you, very slow-mo. special. Yeah. Yep. Rachel Jenkins would agree. Also on Facebook, she says, for Tyrion 8, the Queen of Thorns owned Joffrey and... The Strangler becomes my favorite character. He's elusive. Mm. Flipping back to uh, Twitter, Susan Stacy, the second half of her own, she gave us Sansa earlier, now Tyrion. Joffrey no longer owns anything, including his vicious tongue or a book called Lives of Four Kings. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Vivid Verdandi. Sansa Four own goes to Tyrion for figuring out who tried to kill Bran. Hey. Also... Tyrion's chapter own goes to Garland Tyrell and the Misses for seeing the good on Tyrion and being the only decent people at the feast. They were kind. The Lady Ash uh, writes in, own to wine, which, by the way, is a valid own any chapter that we read. (laughs) Especially this chapter. Especially this one, though. Lady Ash goes on to say, so dark and deep, it holds many secrets. Hashtag cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Lady Ash. Vlad Tudor. Sansa, my own goes to Oberyn for this burn. I've seen no snakes in the red <laughs> keep of yours. So how do you account for Joffrey? Joffrey. Tell your father I'm here. <laughs> there it is. Two parts right. Aegon owned word problems. Prince Aegon has two sisters, two wives, and three dragons. How many heads conquered the seven kingdoms? Hashtag mathcest. <gasps> Whoa. Uh, wait, eight heads, because Aegon's one. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag math cest. Erica on Twitter my own goes to the poison for doing what we've been waiting for since a game of thrones hashtag bottoms up wine emojis are appropriate there Erica nice that, oh yeah oh hey look Brianne's back my own for Joff's wedding goes to old mace 
whose life-saving advice was to shake shake Josh <laughs> by his ankles. Yeah, hold him up. Hold shake him. it out of him. <laughs> Daniela Harker. Tyrion for calling Joffrey out on the dagger that started the War of the Five Kings. Yeah. There you go. And also, Lady Olena in her... Jesus strike. <laughs> Lady Olena for her glorious snark. <laughs> but especially this. Your brother was a terrible traitor. I know. But if we start killing men at weddings, they'll be even more frightened of marriage than they are presently. <laughs> snark and foreshadowing. That was great. That was yeah, good. Not bad. Riz Palazzolo says, uh, the Sansa chapter, to Tyrion, for a sudden realization he has about a certain murder attempt and his comment to Joffrey about a new present. Quote, perhaps a knife, sire, to match your sword. A dagger of the same fine Valyrian steel with a dragon bone hilt, say? And, own for the purple wedding going to Joffrey for being an obnoxious little shit to Tyrion right up until the bitter end. And then, an honorary own goes to Tyrion for afterwards thinking about both Joff's and Rob's weddings and realizing that his own wasn't <laughs> yeah. so bad after all. Yeah. <laughs> First email here comes from our friend Christina. She says, uh, own for both chapters goes to Garland Terrell for being the only person willing to speak or act against Joffrey in defense of Tyrion. Make no mistake, he is very polite and diplomatic about it, so as not to arouse Joff's anger. It's just so nice to see someone in the court of King's Landing treating Tyrion with kindness and respect. Tyrion's care and concern for Sansa have earned him that much at least. If only she would let him reach her literally and figuratively, they might actually find some happiness together. Uh, also, I don't know about that. It's an interesting question. Hmm. Um, so Christina is wondering, also, is Garland the one who put the poison stone into Joff's cup? I think so, but was was all his rapport with Tyrion just to keep him off guard for the poisoning and help create the diversion that allowed for it to happen? Hmm. Hmm. 77 courses of food for thought. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Christina. Thanks, Christina. It's very tasty. And uh, we have another email from Monique. She says, In the Sansa chapter, my own is for Tyrion for being the only person to figure out who really sent that assassin after Bran. That is very popular today. And for subtly letting Joffrey know that he knew. Or not so subtly, Monique. And also for the Tyrion chapter, my own goes to the Lannisters. They may be selfish, evil, incestuous jerks, but they sure know how to throw a party. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, and this is late, a happy name day to Micah. May the Lord of Light send you many blessings. And uh, I'm going to add this in there. Crates of roller balls blades. and rollerblades. Happy late <laughs> birthday. Did you celebrate well? Yeah, I did. It was uh, it was a good time. Uh, you know, it's a summer birthday. You can't go wrong with a summer birthday. No, you can't. It happens it's every summer year. Summer name day. So. <laughs> we'll have a belated name day celebration for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it's approaching quickly. I know that we've got you know something like thirty something thirty odd days from our event in New York City, but it's approaching. Thanks once again to all of the listeners who sent in their owns, That's whether it's through Twitter, Facebook, or through email. <laughs> uh, just a reminder that we are uh, fast approaching Sansa and Jamie for Jamie. next week's episode. So uh, be sure to send in your owns. The uh, same old way. Uh, tweet at us at Game of Owns. Uh, scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Or you can email us, contact at Game of com. As we uh, wrap up the show here, man, there's a lot of stuff to look yeah. forward to. I mean, uh, it we're in the midst of uh, Season 6 filming. We're going through our reread of A Storm of Swords. And, uh, you know, we spoke about it earlier, but New York Comic Con, a new website... Uh, new Patreon content. 
just a lot of uh, stuff that's going on uh, in our little podcast world. Thank you again to everyone who is participating uh, so actively, or even those of you who are participating inactively in the shadows. We encourage you to to come forward and and to begin to meet the rest of your comrades. We've luckily been able to be a part of that and different degrees as live shows and different events have happened along the course of, I would say, the past year or so. But things are accelerating at an even greater pace, and uh, the story is moving along. The The show is moving along. Season 6 is deep in development, and we only have uh, a select amount of time for all of this to continue existing. So let's, let's do this together. We do love hearing from everybody. The ways that we do, the uh, depth that we do through social, through email, everything we just mentioned... And uh, we also love meeting all of you in person. So there's New York Comic Con for that. We definitely want to uh, hang out. I'll, I'll be hanging out each of the days of the con, going to the con as much as possible. And hell, it'll even be good to see Christian again. Um, and he is awesome as a DJ, by the way, in case anyone's wondering. I happened to see him a couple uh, months ago during the uh, the tour. And uh, he, he just blew me away with yeah. uh, with his with his DJing skill. So, um, I mean, having him be a part of it is the icing on the cake, which already tastes great and does not have pittance in it. This night is for you, everyone listening. And we plan on throwing a party like the Seven Kingdoms has never seen. Don't tell your father I'm here. <laughs>